You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Davis, Simon Data CEO and co-founder, and your host. I'm excited today to have Adrian Swinsco on our podcast here today. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jason. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Oh, crumbs. I would say that I'm a, I would have described myself. I would describe myself as a, an advisor, a researcher, an explorer, really, of all things can related to experience. And when I say experience, customer experience, employee experience, and all the things that kind of lead on from that. And but primarily what I'm really interested in is I'm interested in organizations that produce better outcomes for both their customers and their employees and all the different ways that we can bring together to try and achieve that. So that's really about me. And I, I do this by working directly with companies. I do a lot of individual research. I do a lot of blogging and podcasting myself. I've been at it for ooh, a while now, and I'm continually surprised that people think I know what I'm talking about. I still think I'm making it up. That's going to be great. You and I have had uh, you know, a series of conversations over the last couple of months about you know, topics related to the customer and the customer experience and the challenges they're in. You know, really, the context for today was it came from a, a survey that we actually commissioned with Forrester that pooled 465 marketers. And we really got to some, some interesting findings. And, and really, the crux of the survey showed that while over 80% of marketers show and say that they have adequate capabilities to drive marketing outcomes, but the same set of, of, of respondents said that 90%, uh, 90% of these folks really just had real challenges in hitting these objectives. You know, and really the question to ask is, is what's going on here? You have majority marketers saying we have capabilities, yet majority marketers you know, saying that they're actually not able to hit their business objectives. But, you know, what's going on? It just doesn't seem to add up. You know, but really when you dig into it, you really dig into what some of the, the issues are. Issues come down to data uh, and they come down to data and integration. But 35% uh, you know, a respondent said that their marketing technologies aren't properly connected together. 34% say that there are material data and integration gaps across their systems. And, and this is really the, the focal point that I wanted to you know, dive in with you today, Adrian, and just break break this problem down in, in, into its constituent parts. With everything, these are not just technology problems. These are, are organizational-wide problems that span people, processes, and systems. And obviously, this relates to, you know, your broader thesis around the messy middle. Yeah, so you know, maybe just to begin here, does the data from this survey surprise you and, and, and and what's your sort of initial reaction when you hear, you know, when you heard this? So first of all, I need to acknowledge that the um, the idea of the messy middle came from a conversation I had with Michael Ramsey of ServiceNow. On it was related to customer service, uh, and he came up with the idea of the messy middle. And I was like intrigued by that, and then went on to explore it. And that led to subsequent conversations with yourself and and other people. And we realized that the messy middle is not something which is exclusive to the customer service domain, but there's messy middles all over organizations. We just don't talk about them. It's a bit like having a packed storeroom in your house somewhere. Yeah, we don't open that door. It's just stuff's in there. But so I've been exploring this. And so the, the data that comes out of your research doesn't surprise me. In fact, I heard about one piece of research that claimed that only somewhere in the region, I think it's somewhere between 15 and 17% of all organizations 
are making good on their data strategy, i.e. they're not hitting their objectives. So it reflects pretty much the, your research. And some people always say, yeah, we're doing okay, but we're failing to hit their hit our objectives. So maybe the piece I'm referring to was slightly more honest that people are going, yeah, we're not doing great at all. There's only like 15% of us hitting the mark. So I'm not surprised by that. In fact, I think this messy middle problem isn't exclusive to data. It's all over the organizations. We tend to look, look at things on the exterior but don't necessarily think deeply about how we can do things. And it's the only the deepness of stuff that really, when we look deeper, that we actually find the real kind of like nutty problem. So I remember talking to a friend of mine, James, who is a, he's a real process and data guy. And his job in large organizations is to, to go and around and improve processes. It's a general business improvement type of thing. But he said to me, he says, you know what? 95% of problems don't happen within teams. 95% of problems happen in the gaps between teams. And the problem is that's 100% of where our focus is not. Our, our focus is generally in our teams and in the domains that we control and not in the things that connect what we do. And so it's almost about the gaps in between all the teams and in the processes and all the systems. That's where we don't focus, but that's where most of the problems show up. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's a great point. It's not even one of our, you know, we're a values-driven organization and you know, one of our values is around ownership. And every Tuesday when, when folks start, I always talk about our, our, our core values. And I always note that organizational design is so critical when you think about ownership. It's really a, a matter of aligning individuals with business outcomes, but fundamentally and intrinsically, so these problems can be very difficult when you have mm -hmm. cross-functional dependencies. You know, so you know, there are real trade-offs here. And what sort of brings us to, you know, to the, the next sort of you know, question around people and culture is and when we think about you know, organizational you know, design, Adrian, how have you seen this you know, affect ability for a business to fully leverage their data uh, or their customer experience more broadly. This is a thing that frustrates me. I'm naturally a bit of a systems thinker. And so I approach things and look at things, how, they, how things all connect together and how they work you know, within each other. But the problem is that's not necessarily how we've grown up or how we develop organizations. We very much develop organizations in, in, in along functional kind of lines. And we're in this domain or in this era that we're now in, this customer-driven era, I think it was... I was talking to a gentleman by the name of Professor John Seddon, and he said, and I paraphrase, he said, he once said to me, he said that organizations talk about being customer focused or customer centric, but then they take a customer typology of demand, and then they try and fit it in, into their process or organizational driven way of doing things. And that in turn just causes all sorts of problems. So you're not organizing yourself at a purely supply and demand sort of basis. You're not organizing yourself to respond to demand as it really presents itself. And all we end up doing is we go square peg, round hole, keep doing that. And we've been doing that for decades. And we consider ourselves like smart, like sentient kind of beings, but yet the data shows us and history shows us we're not really learning the lessons. Now, there are many organizations that are trying to do things differently. And I know you're trying to fix the, the, the data part of it, but it, you're absolutely right. The organizational design part of it is hugely important, particularly when we think about the business kind of outcomes, because if we don't get it right, then we're just putting obstacles in our, in, in, in our way to try and drive those kind of outcomes that we all, actually, we all want to achieve, really. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, and, and just before this, we were talking about, you alluded to this notion of separating, you know, the forest from the trees. And really one thing that, that we see, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, you know, customer marketing is really just this divide between data operations and data analytics. At the end of the day, you know, great marketing starts with understanding your customer. You know, and if, if really all your efforts around data come and just getting it to work, you're not going to be in a place where you can actually do some critical thinking. You can be in a place where you can actually understand the customer. You know, and, and really one of our core theses as data matures, as data science matures, you know, is really a downstream movement of data functions into business functions. And really, really, our vision is not to transform, you know, you know, marketing with data science, but instead enable every marketer to be a bit more of a data scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, what does that mean? Uh, that means thinking about how can you enable marketing analysts to play more of a role, um, you know, in your customer marketing efforts and your customer mm-hmm. experience efforts. Obviously, technology is, is a part of this, but ultimately, it really starts with that orientation around, hey, you know, we want to have an analytically oriented marketing team. We want to really be, make sure we can understand the customer before anything else. And that, you know, that starts with, with organizational design and, and your team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's another thing that the... Um, which I think is important to kind of point out is that, and it's important what you're doing is because there is, and there has been for years now, this skills gap, like a capability within organizations around data science and data analytics, but more importantly, around data decision, data-driven decision-making at a leadership level. So there's like different kind of levels of this. And the more that we can do to help people understand what they can do and how they can use kind of like kind of data means that you don't need a PhD in data science because those things are in are in short supply and high demand. But giving people access to some of the tools to help them generate hypotheses and and, and understand these kind of um, run scenarios and understand a bit more about what their customers are are doing, particularly that first party kind of organiz- operational kind of data, which I only. There's only a, a, a really a handful of companies that are really getting ahead of that right now because many people are really concentrated more on the, the feedback and the listening type of stuff. But we have this treasure trove of first-party data, the operational data that's there, but nobody's really, really getting dug into it right now. But that's some of the most valuable stuff because it's actually is a real footprint, footprints in the sand sort of stuff. It tells you real stuff about what people are actually kind of doing. So giving people access to that, I think, is incredibly important. But... It's a big hill and it's a long hill and it never ends. Yep. No. And, and look, one trend we're seeing in the market is the really just the deprecation of third party cookies and really the you know, reorientation of so many brands to be focusing on their first party data. And I think maybe we can talk about you know, you know, you know, something you know, we like to talk about, which is availability bias. We can see so many customers who say, oh, we're using our first party data. And when you dig into it, really their, their view into customers limited to a handful of fields that they've been using for, for months or for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you can sort of talk about where you've seen that, what that looks like like and how that sort of that sort of you know, paralysis can look like uh, in practice. Yeah, so I think there's uh, there's two things I would say. One is uh, the first one is related to a quote that's one of my favorite quotes. It comes from a Polish American linguistic scholar called, and I think I get his his first name, his second name is I think it's called Joseph Krzybski, and he's famously quoted as saying, "The map is not the territory." And what's interesting is that people then rely on the data. And think that's an accurate kind of picture of all facets of their kind of customer. And what they end up doing is they end up only relying on that and thinking that's an accurate representation of what's really going on for customers. And so they don't go the extra mile, as it were. 
to bridge the gap between what who are the customers and the different types of customers they have and the, the data they give them. Because two different types of customers can do exactly the same thing, but be very different individuals. And it's only when you actually really understand that do you actually are able to, to really go beyond that to actually de- define and put in place the right sort of strategies and tactics that's going to deliver the experiences that are going to make uh, deliver the best outcomes for both those customers and your kind of business. And then, so that's one one point, which I hope answers your question, or it's just me talking away. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. <laughs> and then the second point is that there's also this other idea which I talk about talk about this Jekyll and Hyde syndrome, and it's a problem related to personalization where many marketeers will will come up with these kind of really odd sort of personalization sort of strategies, which most kind of customers will think are really creepy or something. But even when you ask the marketeers themselves, there was a piece of research from a few years ago that, that said that 60% of those marketers when asked about their personalization efforts, 60% of them would say that they re- they recognize their own tactics that they employed in the, for their brands as bordering on creepy or being absolutely in that creepy domain. So it makes me think that when people talk about being customer-focused and customer-centric, sometimes these kind of these marketeers are losing sight of kind of themselves as a customer themselves and what would be um, good and useful and right for them because they get driven more by organizational concerns when they cross the threshold of their building or their office or their virtual office, as it, as it currently is now for many of us. And so I think there's that what we need to do is we need to get real with some of these things. And sometimes that may involve talking to a, a few customers about what's going on and going, ooh, perish the thought. We actually have to talk to some real people to check our understanding. How are leading brands using data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market? Find out on Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. Yep. Yeah, it's, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's funny. I, you know, I'm a New York City resident and I'm involved in the Cornell Tech's new campus on Roosevelt Island. And I, I do one lecture every year around you know, for the product course around data-driven product development. The lecture, I think, was two weeks ago now, so it's a bit top of mind. But really, one of the things that I preach is that your, your, your data isn't reality. You know, data mm-hmm. describes reality. And, and you need to really be thinking about the customer, their experience, how they're using the product you know, when it comes to product development. But that is reality. There's some things that you, you can measure. There's some things that you can never measure. And you know, even those things that you can measure, you'll never be able to collect everything that can be measured in the business. It's too mm-hmm. complex. And at the end of the day, you, know, you need to really be able to think in a way that reflects the emotions, the experiences that your customers have. And, and the data you know, is a point of triangulation. And, and it's all about having the right data. It's certainly not all the data, but the right data. But really using it in a way to fully understand and represent where the customer is when they're having a, a great experience and when they're not. And that's when when gone wrong, the, the result on, on, on one side is incredibly bland you know, messaging. I mean, I always joke, one of the businesses, why we, one of the reasons why we started you know, you know, you know, the business was I guess got sick and tired of deleting a 35 you know, email uh, messages every morning whose notion of, of personalization was hello Jason and nothing more yeah um, no, no, completely yeah you know, and then on the other side is, is is not using data in a way that represents the interest from the customer and just being way too specific or creepy at times and to your point the personalization needs to actually start with the person with the customer business outcome yeah I think that's the gap 
But I think there's also another kind of point I think there is that, which we, I think we need to pin in this particular balloon, is that you don't need to have a lot of data to achieve this. You just need to have kind of the, the right data, to your point, and of the sufficiently high enough quality that you can that will help you achieve the, the personalization. The level of personalization doesn't necessarily mean more. It could just mean less. Like, to your point, somebody, somebody kind of says, rather than going, hi, Jason, and then just tries to infer and guess what you might you could just go ask somebody go like would you like this and if you don't then tell us and then we'll stop or we'll change it and it's what do we adopt a rather than a, you know if we're in this customer focused customer centric kind of world then why do we just kind of stop trying to always be broadcasting at people and actually try and build a bit of a two-way kind of conversation because if that enriches our data set and our understanding and we build ways to collect that and that helps build, if you like, our understanding of what the territory is, then that can only be a good thing. But I think that's just way further down the line for many people, because many people are just going, hoovering up as much data as they possibly can, and then going, stirring the pot, and then trying to figure out what, what's their best guess in terms of what they, what they should be doing. Yep, no, 100%. And, and maybe wrapping you know, wrapping things up here, Adrian, if you take a step back and look at you know, the, 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 the broader challenge around the messy middle, as you call it, and you think about organizations who are able to effectively close a loop with their people, process, and systems across the customer experience, intermediations into really driving the right message and responses, whether it be in a support capacity or a marketing capacity, mm-hmm. you know, what does great look like when, when all this works? What does great look like? I think great looks like a, a great, for me, is is starting small and then making a difference and then rinsing and repeating and then scaling up from there. And I think, because I think there's too many people that are thinking really big and thinking really transformational as it were, because it's almost a bit like we give everything a lick of paint and then Neville said, ta-da, we're done. And then move on to the next thing. But actually I think what we need to realize is this is a habit that we need to develop. I, we can create a hypothesis about kind of coming, kind of, Find a thing that's a problem, a small thing that's a problem. Get people together, like Jason, like you and I talked about before. Half of this, half of the problem here is that people don't talk to each other in organizations. You might have their teams, like the CIO team or the CMO's team are talking to each other, but they believe different things. But the CIO and the CMO are not actually having their heads banged together and going, let's make a plan, a joint plan, and figure out what are our top two, three, four, five things that we need to do, and then just go at them one at a time and knock them off because... I truly believe that if you think about the nature of things in the world, the universe, and organizations, you know, what, 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 however far you want to zoom in or zoom out of it, there's only really like two states, right? Two physical states in the world. There's one of inertia and one of momentum. And our role is about how do we create momentum? It doesn't need to be, we don't need to be going 100 miles an hour. We could just be going two, but that's fine. It's like, Getting a big organization to move as success begets success. And I think that what we end up doing is we end up trying to bite off more than we can chew and we give ourselves indigestion and then it's all about, oh no, somebody else has no problem. But actually what we need to do is we need to zoom it down and focus on a thing that we can all achieve together by working together and that and then generate the momentum there. And then that's where we can learn and we can scale up from there. And that's, for me, I'd like to see more of that. And, and I think a lot of people talk about it as, this idea of developing a culture of experimentation and that requires like collaboration 
you know, in different domains and different sort of functions. But those organizations that get it right are the ones they're running experiments all the time, but they're generally pretty small ones. And they and it takes a, they start small and they build up and they keep going, they keep going, they keep going all the time. And so that's where I would start is experiment, but start small, talk to each other, figure it out, generate yeah. momentum. Yeah, and, and Adrian, I think your, your point around organizational alignment is, is, is you know, really resonates. You know, when I look at one of the great, you know, one of the biggest leverages of data in, in modern organizations, it's really one of you know, you know providing a, a mechanism for learning, providing a mechanism for aligning, providing a mechanism you know for working towards the common set of goals. But if all that works the top all the way down, then you can really build a tremendous amount of momentum moving in the right direction. So yeah. Absolutely. I think the thing is, a lot of the time is like, you know, but that's where the hard work is a lot of the time because people have to almost like get over themselves and get over their, what they, they consider is important for their team and their function and everything else. And it's a bit like, actually, no, let's figure out what the common objective is or what the common good is because I think the tools are there and the people that, are, that, that want, are, want to help are there. Just, we just gotta, we've just got to work together. Um, to solve these things. And I think it, it's possible, but sometimes it, it won't go as fast as people want it to. They, they almost just want things to be magic. Just a poof happen overnight. And you're like, no, it requires hard work and sustained and committed work. And it will always take longer than you think. <laughs> Yep, yep. Now everyone always wants a you know, a, a, a quick win. Really getting there is uh, requires rolling up your sleeves. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think we're at time here, Adrian. Yeah, but really, I really enjoyed our conversation. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast today. And as always, I really appreciate your sharing your wisdom with us. Jason, it's been thank you so much. It's always been I always learn something when I talk to you, and it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for having me on. Great. listening to the data unlocked driving better marketing with better data you can listen to more episodes on spotify apple podcasts and google podcasts this podcast is sponsored by simon data we help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale